Greetings. I'm Matt Matthews, one of the pastors here at First Pres in Champaign, and I'm happy to welcome you to our media ministry. Join us in person. We're located at the intersection of Church and State Streets, adjacent to Westside Park in downtown Champaign. Our traditional worship service is at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning, and on most of those Sundays, we offer French translation. Our contemporary services on Sunday begin at 11.15 a.m. When you come to First Pres, what you'll find, what I hope you'll find, is a community of people who support each other and who are passionate about making a difference in our community and beyond. You'll find relevant teaching for children and adults. We have at least a dozen Bible studies in small groups, including pickleball, that's right, pickleball, adult choir, a bell choir for all comers, and other programs and events designed to grow your faith and give you and me opportunities to serve. There's a place for you. I'm glad you tuned in. If you will pray with me as we are about to listen for God's Word in Scripture, let us pray. Savior God, your Word is a lamp to our feet on this discipleship road. Walk with us. Guide us with your wisdom and grace Silence in us any voice but your own, and open us to discerning your will and your way. Amen. The child Isaac grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that he was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot, for she said, Do not let me look on the death of the child. And she sat opposite him. She lifted up her voice, and she wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy, the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew up, and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his, wife got, his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 29 to 31. 
Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs on your head are counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. With a title like, It's a Family Affair, I'm guessing a few of you immediately went to the Sly and the Family Stone song. It's a family affair. Well, I discovered that title this week when rereading a chapter of Bill Moyer's book, uh, his wonderful book on the book on Genesis, which covers, and this chapter covered the story of Abraham and all that transpired with him. If you were here last week, you might remember that Matt taught the kids Father Abraham, introducing us to the notion that Abraham, though very old, became father to descendants too many to number. Today, we have the story of Abraham and the messiness that comes when we humans try to get what we want without waiting on God. Ah, yes, but Abraham and Sarah had waited a really long time for children. It's a very human story of Abraham and Sarah that includes their infertility. And I find it interesting that we have such very human stories of intimate matters, matters that still affect us today. Sarah is one woman in the Bible with whom I can relate. My husband and I waited what felt like forever to have children. We wrestled with matters of faith and how far we wanted to go to help nature take its course. I remember vividly one day walking through the grocery store, spotting a very pregnant teenager with her mother, and I got really angry at the unfairness of it all. Her situation was very likely not her choice. And mine was not my choice either. Abraham and Sarah really wanted to have children. Sarah must have felt like a failure in that primary role in that patriarchal society of providing the next generation, and especially a male heir. She is described as barren in the lineage description of Abraham earlier in the book of Genesis. Yeah, barren. That's a word describing a woman that's right up there with spinster, isn't it? Barren is an adjective often used to describe a desert and dry as a bone. Yet when I was in my mid-30s and unable to conceive, the streaks of tears down my face were anything but dry. It seemed so unfair. Well, the story of Sarah and Abraham gets really messy when they travel to Egypt uh, to escape a famine. Abraham was worried that because Sarah was so beautiful that the Pharaoh would kill him so that he could take Sarah into his household. And Abraham somehow convinces Sarah to say that they're siblings. When Sarah is indeed taken into the Pharaoh's household, Abraham receives much wealth, but Pharaoh's household is struck with plagues as a result. And so when the Pharaoh discovers that Abraham and Sarah are man and wife, they are told to get out of Dodge and in a hurry. 
It's about this time that we hear that Sarah has now taken an Egyptian slave girl named Hagar. The story of Hagar is when things get really messy in this story of family life without children. God, as we know, makes a covenant with Abraham regarding lineage and land. He is to be a father to so many ancestors, they will be like stars in the sky or grains of sand on the beach. But Abraham's really getting up there in years, not to mention his wife too. So Sarah has an idea. In Genesis chapter 16, a couple verses, uh, chapters before today's verses, Sarah wants a child so desperately that she tells her husband to sleep with the slave girl so she can have a child this way. Surrogacy here in the Bible, huh? But I don't read that Hagar had any say, nor did she agree. Unfair once more. One verse in chapter 16 changes the course of the story. In reading the footnotes in my study Bible, yeah, I'm a nerd that way, I discovered that Hagar's original so-called crime was giving Sarah a look that implied that she did not look up to Hagar quite as, uh, excuse me, that Hagar did not look up to Sarah, Sarah quite as she did before. It's a look that Sarah took one way and was deeply offended by her perceived understanding of what she thought was in Hagar's heart. But is it any wonder? Hagar had no choice in the surrogacy since she was a slave to Sarah. And it was clear that Sarah intended to raise Hagar's child as her own. But that look that Hagar gave to Sarah changed everything. Sarah treated Hagar harshly. Some theologians even described it as violently, which caused Hagar to flee into the desert in escape. It is in the desert, that barren desert, that Hagar first encounters God in the form of an angel. This angel convinces Hagar to return and promises to multiply Hagar's offspring reminiscent of the promise given to Abraham, the father of the child in her womb. She speaks to God, gives God a name, which means El Roy, or El Roy, which means the God who sees. She describes the reason for this name because she said, I have seen God and remained alive. Later, Hagar gives her son by Abraham the name Ishmael, which means God sees. All of these things happened before last week's passage, during which Sarah is promised a child of her own within the year. At least a year has passed to today's passage, and Sarah's son is born. His name is Isaac, which means he laughs because God brought laughter to Sarah that she was able to have a child at so old an age. It is pretty funny. All this backstory leads to, to today's gospel passage and today's scripture. We have a wealthy, older mom. We have slavery, including a young, foreign-born slave girl who is a mother to the older mom's husband's eldest son. Messy, messy. We have jealousy, disrespect, contempt. 
We have heroes of the story of the family of God with very clay feet. And we have a child who reaches a milestone in their life, kind of like the milestone we reach today with Henry. Abraham is so excited to see his son grow up that he throws a feast. It is time to party, to get all the cousins and to celebrate this milestone of him being a full-fledged member of the family. And alas, the problem is that this half-brother has the audacity to play with Isaac and to make him laugh. Uh-oh. Sarah does not like this one little bit. How dare this son of the slave woman do what children do, play and laugh. It reminded Sarah that her son came second. So maybe that whole, I'll get my slave girl to give me her son when he's born, maybe that idea wasn't so brilliant. My goodness, who would have ever thought that, that a slave would want to keep her son? Who would have ever guessed that she was a good mother? Messy, messy. Sarah decides to rid herself of this messiness, the oldest child, worst yet, son of her husband, by getting her husband to kick the two of them out of the household. Talk about unfair. Abraham, we read, was distressed by this possibility. He loved his son. Well, he loved both of them, actually. He had waited a very long time for children and loved having them around. He loved his boys, plural. Here's where the story gets really messy and puts a really bad taste in my mouth about most of the characters I believe we're supposed to be rooting for. Sarah wants to cast out her slave girl, the mother of her husband's eldest son, and the eldest son into the desert. God okays this plan. Abraham goes ahead and gives Hagar a bit of water, some bread, and kicks her and her son out, nothing at all like the absolute feast that he threw in honor of his youngest. I find myself siding not with the formerly barren heroine, nor her husband, the patriarch of three world religions. Rather, I find myself siding with the lowest of the household, the unmarried mother of the eldest son who is banished to live on her own in the desert with no way to support herself in an inhospitable country. Ah, but that's what God does, isn't it? God flips the script and shows us that the lowest of humanity can show those much further up the societal ladder that all are worthy of respect and care. Sarah, whose infertility has resonated with me for decades, is not much of a heroine in today's story. Sarah dehumanizes Hagar by not deigning to name her but rather to describe Hagar as that slave woman and Hagar's son as that son of the slave woman. When we refuse to name people and recognize the humanity of others, we slip into othering people by showing how different and perhaps unlike and maybe lower beyond our own place as if somehow there were levels besides human. 
Abraham is caught between a rock and a hard place and deeply distressed. He loves his children, but his wife wants to get rid of that daily reminder that Isaac, her flesh and blood with Abraham, was not firstborn. Even being awarded, uh, and she was worried about Isaac's older half-brother that would be a rival for inheritance, even getting the larger share because it was his birthright. Now, this just would not do. Abraham turns to God, who tells Abraham not to be distressed because he's supposed to do what his wife asks, because the covenant will be through Isaac. Also, because Abraham is father of the son of the slave woman, God makes a nation of him as well. Abraham wants peace in his household, and of course, he wants that heir, so with the assurance that, that, that Ishmael will be okay, Abraham goes ahead early the next morning and casts Hagar and Ishmael out with bread and water. Nothing else. I can only imagine what it must have felt like to Hagar, who was young, vulnerable, unmarried, with a child in a male-dominant society, foreign-born, poor, no means of support, and carrying bread as the only food they would have. But the story does not end when Abraham casts out Hagar and Ishmael. We hear that she wanders about the desert of Beersheba, and that container, that skin of water runs out, and Hagar loses all hope. She's sure they will die. She puts Ishmael down for a rest under a bush, then walks a good way off about the distance of a bow shot, we hear, because she did not want to watch her son die. She weeps. But I can only imagine, it's not a gentle weep. This sound of the awful wail of a mother who is certain that her child will die. The next thing we learn is that God calls to Hagar, letting her know that God has heard the voice of the boy, Yauza. God doesn't seem to have heard Hagar, but did hear her son. And God offers some assurance. God calls Hagar by name and says, what troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw survival, a well of water, and gave Ishmael a drink. The last we hear of Hagar is that she got an Egyptian wife for her son who grew up and lived in the wilderness, becoming an expert with the bow. We will hear more of Ishmael later in Genesis on the occasion of Abraham's death, but, and there we hear that Ishmael had 12 sons. So when I read the scriptures prescribed by the lectionary for today, I wanted to avoid the Old Testament so much. I mean, really, casting out... But this story called me. I kept trying to figure out why. Where is the good news in a story referred to as the banishment of Hagar and her son? 
What a lovely story to tell on Baptism Sunday, huh? Casting out anyone from the family? But it occurred to me that there really is good news here. God had a plan for Hagar and Ishmael. God heard their cries. God sees. God provides a way. God is faithful even to outsiders. God is with them. One reflection on, t on today's Genesis passage noted that God loves the Hagars and Ishmaels of this world. God hears their cries, sees their suffering, and brings about their redemption. This is the gospel story, the good news. As people of the good news, there is meaning for us in this passage about Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, and Ishmael. There's an invitation for us to attend to, bless, and embody God's love and care to those outside of our community of faith, particularly those who are most vulnerable. When I think of vulnerable, I'm reminded of the kids who get kicked out of their homes or the many people who make treacherous journeys for the goal of being able to feed their families, like those in the barren deserts of Mexico and Arizona, as well as those on board the overloaded ship that sank in the Mediterranean this week. For just as God loves the Ishmaels and the Hagars of this world, so should we. And may it be so. Thank you for joining this podcast of First Presbyterian Church Champaign. Visit us at our campus at the intersection of Church and State Streets in downtown Champaign. And for more information, visit us online at www.firstpres.church. Have a great week.